Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everyone. Uh, make sure your electronics are turned off. How many people here for the first time tonight? Welcome to all of you at home. Welcome to anybody that's tuning in for the first time tonight. This is the regular Monday night meditation class here at Against the Stream. I've been doing this Monday night class for about 16 years here in Los Angeles. Before that, New York City. Before that, San Francisco. For that Santa Cruz. I've been teaching a weekly meditation class for probably over 20 years, maybe like 23 years or something like that. And uh, thanks for joining. Welcome to, to come and, and practice together. And my sense of joining a, a meditation group like this is um, twofold or three or four, several different aspects to it. Uh, one is to get some guidance in how to practice Buddhist meditation, to learn for your own education, your own um, support and, and inspiration. You know, that kind of personal, I want to learn more about meditation, more about Buddhism. And then, um, and then after you've been coming for a little while, as some of you have, many of you have, some, some of you for years, decades, you've learned it all, you've heard it all. Uh, and it's no longer about really learning something as much as like hearing it again, continuing to reflect on the stuff that you already know and have learned. Um, and participating in community. I, I feel like a big part of my role and any Dharma teacher's role is to facilitate, make the opportunity for the community to get together and connect with each other, not just the teacher and listening, but really you um, all connecting and making friendships and relationships and uh, this Buddhist world word uh, Sangha. Um, what we're trying to embody and practice and live is all relational which is strange, right? Because you close your eyes and you go inside and you train your own mind in, in meditation. Um, but it's so much about then how are we going to speak and how are we going to act and how are we going to perceive uh, all of the relationships that we have, both with the external, each other and the world and the internal, how are we going to relate and, and perceive and, and to our own minds. So... Um, welcome and um you know my, my sense is there's a traditional thing in buddhism of taking refuge in the buddha and the dharma and the sangha and buddha means uh it's a, a refuge it's a commitment to like i want to become a buddha i want to wake up so it's not a religious like it's not about these statues it's just about i commit to seeing clearly buddha means awake when we're awake we see clearly I commit to that. I want that as much 
uh, as I can in this lifetime, I want to be awake. I don't want to be asleep. Uh, of course, the benefit of being awake means that you don't suffer when you're actually awake, when we're really uh, alert and aware, and uh, there's a, a wise response that comes with that awakefulness. So we all want that. And we take, we commit, and we say, I, I, uh, awakening is my refuge. I'm, I'm no longer seeking a external refuge in the material world, uh, thinking that if I have enough uh, money and success, then I'll be happy. Um, uh, if you don't already know, I'm sorry to break the news to you. It'll never, ever, ever work to give you true happiness. Nothing outside of ourselves will ever provide the kind of freedom that we all want, that everyone wants. And uh, taking refuge in the Dharma is so connected with Buddha. It's the truth, the, rea the nature, the reality of, of the world that we live in. And so coming to a meditation class hopefully helps us wake up and helps us experience the Dharma. And then there's the Sangha. And then there's the community and the importance of taking refuge in wise friendships and connections. And a huge part of why it's encouraged to be part of a community and keep being part of a community, even when it gets difficult, even when there's conflict, even when there's people in the room that annoy you. <laughs> Uh, that, that bug you of, of, of uh, taking refuge and saying like, this is my family, my, you know, and this is my, uh, maybe family is the wrong, <laughs> maybe it's the wrong, I don't want to get too culty over here, but um, just an encouragement to, um, to really recommit to community and relationships with other people who are also trying to do what you're trying to do. It's rare, unfortunately rare. I was having an interesting, sorry, I'm on a tangent. I was having an interesting uh, conversation with a friend earlier who's, was he, he, was, he was just talking about like how frustrated, he's dating and he's it's so frustrating, like I'm looking for a spiritual partner and, and he's like, and everybody has this like really superficial, Instagram meme spirituality. You ask anybody and they're like, yeah, I'm spiritual. Like, oh, well, what's your meditation practice? Like, well, I don't really meditate, but you know, I've read a lot of books about it. <laughs> Super spiritual. Um, so just the, I don't know, I'm going on a tangent, but I just feel like so important for us to gather. And I'm so excited that finally we have the opportunity to gather and to regularly come together. And the Buddha said that as long as people join together regularly and practice and discuss this, then the, the Dharma will last as long as the community lasts, as long as people keep showing up and supporting each other uh, in the practices together. I'll talk more about that after the meditation. We'll have a, about a 30-minute guided meditation, and then we will, uh, I'll give a talk and we'll have some discussion. So Find a way to sit, find a way to be that feels sustainable, upright, but also relaxed.
Welcome back to the Sangha. Welcome back to your self. As you allow your eyes to close and allow your awareness to fully arrive here in the present with whatever busyness of our days, of our lives. We start the formal meditation practice, just settling into your body, feeling your sensations in your fingers and toes and arms and legs. Relaxing any unnecessary tension that your body may be holding. As we establish mindfulness, present time awareness in the body. Take a moment to reflect on and connect with your own sincere aspiration, intention. be simple something like may i just have a bit less suffering in my life may these practices help alleviate some of the difficulties suffering confusion perhaps your aspiration is more lofty may i have full liberation, awakening for the benefit of all sentient beings. Mindfulness works best when we bring an attitude and intention of kindness, of acceptance. Rather than trying to make our minds submit or become still or quiet. Just being friendliness and kindness, acceptance to your mind, to your body, to your emotions. with this kind and patient intention, 
focus the attention on the sensations of the breath. Spend a few minutes just gathering the attention with the breath. The Buddha suggested breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out fully. Feel the sensations of the breath, be present with the breath. Let everything else be in the background, not trying to stop the world or the thoughts or the sounds. Let it all be just as it is without giving much attention to what your mind is doing. Just let it be in the background. Give your full attention to your body breathing.
Bring the quality of interest, investigation to your breath. Disengage from the thoughts about the future and past. Come back to the body. Pay attention to the beginning, the middle, and the end of each breath. The temperature, the texture, the depth.
you're pretty new to this form of meditation practice, then just keep disengaging from the thoughts about future and past. Keep coming back to the present time experience of the breath coming and going. Keep softening the jaw, the shoulders, the belly. Relaxing into the present experience in the body, even if the body is uncomfortable. Soften around it. Keep breathing. The Buddha's instructions expand to become inclusive of our whole being, not just the breath, including the whole body and the mind and the emotions, all the sense doors, the sounds images, present time awareness of our whole being, emotionally, energetically, psychologically, the mind states, the moods. So we expand from the breath to again feeling the whole body on the cushion, the chair. Becoming aware of the sounds arising and passing. Both internally and externally. Perhaps you hear the ringing in your ears, the beating of your heart. Investigating what's present emotionally, what kind of joys or sorrows are visiting, sadness, fear. What level of craving is present for this moment to be different than it is? What is the mind thinking about? What kind of plans, memories, hopes or fears are arising in the mind? Trying to observe the arising and passing of thought. Attempting to have the experience of an unentangled participation with your experience. We're not so lost in the 
story that we lose present time awareness. So tangled up in the emotion that we become it. Unentangled awareness of what's happening moment to moment. we investigate our experience, we begin to understand that everything that's happening is perceived with a feeling tone, every sound that the ear receives is felt as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, every thought that arises in the mind also is felt, is perceived, experienced as pleasant thoughts or unpleasant thoughts, or perhaps neutral. As it turns out, all of our suffering is created by how we respond to pleasure and pain. When we cling, as we do naturally, we suffer. When we let go, we end suffering. When we meet our pain, unpleasant thoughts, feelings, sensations, 
with aversion, anger, fear. We suffer, we become anxious. When we accept our pain, just as pain, unpleasant thoughts and feelings, we end suffering. when we are entangled with the contents of our mind, our views and opinions, we suffer. Mindfulness helps us to unentangle, to end suffering.
before I get into tonight's Dharma talk. Do the meditation instructions make sense to you? Does it feel pretty clear of what you're trying to do? Of course, easier. The instructions are fairly simple. Be present and don't cling. (laughs) But it's not easy to do. And there is a different, um, you know, I think there's a widely held uh, perspective that when we're meditating, we want to still our minds or we want to experience uh, calm or and the Buddhist perspective is much different than that. And this kind of Buddhism was saying like, it's, so, it's okay if your mind is loud as fuck, it's fine. You're learning to not uh, be so entangled in those loud thoughts, not trying to destroy them or silence them. Or In the beginning, you're just learning to ignore it. Let it be in the background, come back to your breath over and over. But then even in the long run, like being able to uh, observe the mind raging, which it does sometimes. Your mind rage sometimes. <laughs> and it's not like a failure of meditation. It's kind of like, oh, no, this is meditation. Wow, look at what my mind is doing. Look at this fear. Look at this lust. Look at this insecurity. Whatever is arising, that is our practice. That's ultimately what we're doing in, in mindfulness rather than like uh, that idea that I need to get to stillness i need to get to oblivion and that's a good meditation that'll happen too and if it happens you know it's it's fine and it's pleasant and then then there's a whole other like that clinging Ooh, that was pleasant for a moment i want more of it (laughs) i want that shit to stay it is you know kind of so it's its own kind of form of suffering. The pleasant meditation sometimes will fuck up your meditation practice for years. Because <laughs> then that craving will kick back and kick in and be like, I want it to be pleasant like it was that one time in Last week, I talked about the goal, the point of of what the Buddha taught, what we call Buddhism, um, being super, uh, that that each of our own aspirations may be different. You have your own individual, this is why you're meditating. You have your reasons, you have your goals, your hopes. Um, but that the, the Buddha was really clear of like, I'm teaching you how to end suffering. So whatever you're coming for, for cool. Uh, but what I'm teaching you is how to not suffer about the reality of our human condition and, and the reality of this dysfunctional world that we live in. I read a thing last week about the Buddha saying, in this generation of degenerates, to talking about his culture 2,600 years ago, where he said, where people are so greedy and so hateful and so self-centered. He's like, 
you know, and, and we think, oh, like it's just getting worse. But he was talking a lot of shit about his culture, his racist, sexist, phobic, self-centered, patriarchal power, you know, 2,600 years ago. He was like, this place is a fucking mess. And humans have created the mess and continue to create the mess, not, not them, us, <laughs> right? So he's going to be like, well, yeah, they did it. And it's like, no, us, we're part of this, part of the, the human born into ignorance, born into craving, born into self-centeredness, born into fear of pain, lust for pleasure. Not your fault not personal, not self. It's just what it's like when we incarnate. Born into a survival instinct that's going to make life way more difficult than it needs to be. And the proposal that we cannot suffer with this survival instinct that we all have is a really radical proposal. And in order to actually make some progress, experience some freedom, um, we have to be incredibly intentional. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Intentional uh, living, intentional training of the mind, intentional... Uh, it's the second factor of the Eightfold Path when the Buddha says, here's the eight things that must be done in order to end suffering. He says, first, you have to understand reality. And the, the reality is <laughs> we don't. It's not like, you know, like we're not taught the true nature of reality in kindergarten. Most of us weren't born into families of people who understood the true nature of reality. Uh, most of us have been conditioned by religious uh, dogma that is a complete delusion, total lie that we were kind of bought into, you know, kind of, hey, believe this shit that's absolutely not true about reality. <laughs> and so, like, the first piece is we have to understand what's really going on here. And then once we understand what's really going on here, even if just theoretically and intellectually get your mind around what's really going on here, then you have to make sure that you have the correct intentions, that you're intentionally going against the greed, the hatred, the delusion that cause suffering. Because without intentional rebellion, intentional uh, action, we suffer. And if so, you know, if you're here, I hope on, on one level or another, you've made the decision, I don't want to suffer anymore. And some of you made that intention a long, that, that kind of a long time ago and said, you know, <laughs> it's been decades and decades of saying, like, I don't want to suffer anymore. And you're kind of sitting here scratching your head going like, why the fuck am I still suffering? <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. I'm like, why am I still suffering? I've been doing this for. And then waking up to like, oh, well, I'm suffering such a fraction of what I used to be. So much progress. I certainly, you know. 
So I, I have to talk a little bit about, um, you know, so there's understanding and intention and then all of the ways that we act, you know, the uh, how do you speak, how do you act, the five precepts, renunciation, uh, livelihood, effort, mindfulness, concentration, the Eightfold Path. But this second factor of intentional, that it's not going to happen by itself. It's not going to happen by reading the books. It's not going to happen by listening to the Dharma talks. It's not going to happen from just uh, trying to download the Dharma intellectually. It takes our life's energy, uh, our intentional training of the mind, our intentional renunciation. There's a whole, when you enter this kind of path, there's a whole bunch of shit you have to add. Right? For me, anyways, like I had to add meditation. <laughs> I didn't used to meditate. And I said, okay, I want to end suffering. So I'm going to add that to my life. I'm going to start meditating. I'm going to add service. I used to, you know, be I, me, mine all of the time. And I'm going to add helping others and being generous and being of service. That's something I'm going to add to my life. I'm going to add some study. I'm going to add some, uh, you know, all of the things that we put all, you know, add into our lives that we didn't used to do. And then there's a, what do I need to subtract? Oh, I better stop smoking crack now. I better stop stealing. I better stop lying. I better stop cheating. Like intentionally, I better intentionally change my relationship to my self-centered mind. I got to slow down and have some healthy skepticism about what my mind is telling me to do. Because my mind was telling me to lie, cheat, and steal. Get loaded. That's what my mind was telling me to do. So now I have to intentionally reflect on like, oh, is this true? Is this a trustworthy thought? Is this... What, you know, what's really going on here? Because uh, I hope that you know that your mind's not trustworthy. <laughs> and I, you know, I can sit up and be like, well, I was a crackhead. Like nobody's mind is trustworthy. The human mind, untrained, is unintentionally creating suffering, clinging to pleasure, craving for taking everything personal without training. The Buddha referred to people who didn't meditate. He said these untrained worldlings that go around annoying each other with their views and opinions and think, and as if it's the truth. And I haven't even stopped to train my mind, but I think it, so it's true and you're wrong. <laughs> Really quite simple in the traditional. I pulled out the, this is my favorite book. I've had it for 30 years. Not my favorite, it's one of my favorites. It was written, it's one of the earliest translations. This was translated in, I don't know if I can find it, but it's like the turn of the century, like one of the first, doesn't matter. Early, early, and just a simple um, translation from 
Sinhalese, Sri Lankan into English in, um, you know, a hundred years ago or something. And in this translation, I think he was a German Buddhist monk who became a Buddhist monk and lived in Sri Lankan, in Sri Lanka. And um, in this translation, second factor of the path, and he translates it as right thought. And it's translated as right thought or right intention, sometimes translated as right aspiration, your intentions or your aspirations. And the Buddha only said three things about it. Here's the right way to think. Here's, if you want to end suffering, make sure that your thought, your intentional, volitional intentions are free from lust. So there's two others, but just let's pause there for a moment. And the word that he translates as um, lust is uh, kama. Kama is often translated as lust or craving or, um, you know, sense, sense des uh, desire, craving for sense pleasures. So really, like, just check out your life, how much of your life, and not lust like as in sex. Sex is part of it. Isn't sex one of the things that you lust after? But do you also lust after ice cream? Do you want to fuck the ice cream? <laughs> do you lust after stuff, material things? Do you lust after... <laughs> Do you like that, Russ? <laughs> you lust after craving for uh, money. You know, so lust, we have this like sexual uh, um, identification with. But in this context, it's just craving. What do you crave? How much of your thought is, and in a simple way, I'll be happy if I get that. How often does your mind tell you? If I had that, I'd be happy. And whether it's something simple as like even just in meditation, if my knee didn't hurt, I'd be happy. If my back didn't hurt, I'd be happy. If my mind wasn't so critical, I'd be happy. All of the I'd be happy and I can't be happy until I get thoughts that we have. And how many? Hundreds a day? Thousands? that are lustful thoughts that are craving for like if, and even I find my own mind sometimes in the middle of something, I just had this amazing dinner. And at one more point in it, I was like, this is so good, but if I had some hot sauce <laughs> and I have a lot of lust for hot sauce, it's a thing in my life. Like no matter how delicious it is, it would be better if it was also burning my lips. <laughs> And just watching that thought in the middle of pleasure, wanting more pleasure. How often does your mind do that? Say like, oh, this is great, but you know what would be better? More salt. Or, you know, even, I don't know, simple, like even right now, like this is great. This is, but if these chairs were a little bit more comfortable, if the, temperature 
were a little bit different. And that constant movement towards pleasure and that we believe it and we suffer about it. And we think, oh, I can't be happy because I'm cold. I can't be happy because I'm hot. I can't be happy because I crave for this moment to be a bit more pleasant than it is. And even when it's pleasant, I'm good at pleasure. I could make it more pleasant. Put me in charge. <laughs> I will bring the hot sauce. <laughs> we were at dinner, I was at dinner with my girlfriend a couple of weeks ago. And we went to this restaurant and they only had Tabasco. And she said, she said, don't worry, baby, I've got some in my purse. <laughs> and then one of the people that worked at the restaurant came over and was like, where'd you get that hot sauce? I didn't think we had that. And we're like, we brought our own. <laughs> but this is a high bar intentionally freeing ourselves from and it, this is um we're not going to be able to stop our minds from craving for pleasure your mind does it all by itself do you know that about your mind you want you know if you're doing any mindfulness you start to see like wow my mind is just lusting after this and lusting after that and and some of it's subtle and we just say oh that's just a desire and there is a difference between desire and craving Desire is take it or leave it. And so there's a lot of times where your mind is like, I'd be better with some hot sauce, but I'm fine without it. And there's the times where it's like, this sucks without hot sauce. I can't eat this. Where's the salt? <laughs> or there's times where it's like, I could be a little bit warmer, but I'm fine. And there's the times where it's like, I'm fucking, it's too cold. I'm miserable. I can't be happy and cold at the same time. <laughs> So there's a difference between wanting, but being okay without getting, and the craving. When the, the kama that the Buddha is referring to is a lust that is disturbing your peace. And so maybe that's the, the test of like these thoughts that are it's disturbing my ability to be at ease with what is. And but truly, if it's a desire, you can be at ease without satisfying it. It's not a need. It's just a desire. So we're not going to be able to stop our minds from non-volitionally, because again, this is our survival instinct. This is millions of years of human evolution. You're, we're just craving for uh, survival you know and all of the sexual lust stuff it's all procreation it's all natural selection it's all not personal just what our species experiences your nervous system your body is going to lust so when the buddha is saying free from intentionally identifying with and feeding those thoughts when we start to wake up to like Oh, I'm suffering. My mind creates all of this suffering. The untrained mind. So now that I'm meditating and I'm training my mind, I need to have some discernment of like, I don't want to intentionally be 
craving because that creates suffering. So when it arises, I want to try to disengage from it and see it and name it. Oh, that's lusting again, lusting again, lusting again, lusting again, craving, craving, craving. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Do you understand the difference between volitional and non-volitional thought? Because this is key to what we're doing. And I think it's one of the big misunderstandings that we bring to our mind training and our spiritual path, this idea that at some point I will no longer have lustful thoughts. That's when I'll be real spiritual. <laughs> it will never happen. You have a mind. It will continue to crave forever, even if you get enlightened. Now, there's some Buddhists that might want to argue with me about my, my Buddhism versus their Buddhism. And of course, it became a religion. So they want to you know, say, no, 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 no. Enlightened beings don't have any cravings. Then what the fuck is Mara? Mara is this character where the Buddha says, I'm a fully enlightened being, but Mara keeps fucking with me. What is Mara? Lust, aversion, and doubt. But he says, I see you, Mara. I see you, lust. Oh, look at what my mind is doing. It's lusting. And he doesn't become entangled with it as self. And so he doesn't suffer about it. But his mind never stops doing it because meditation's not a fucking lobotomy. It doesn't get rid of our emotions and our instinctual drives it changes our relationship to them. And it's the only way that enlightenment awakening is possible, this practical, rational reality that we can change our relationship to what our mind does, but we can't get rid of the mind. Can't make your mind stop doing what it is programmed to do for your survival, crave pleasure. I hope that makes sense. It was a game changer for me when I realized, uh, oh, I can't, I'm not gonna ever get rid of my mind. I have to learn to live with it and have some intentional response and relationship to my mind. Thoughts free from lust. And so there's the non-intentional, non-volitional thoughts. And then we train our mind in intentionally doing loving kindness, doing forgiveness, doing compassion, so that you create the neuropathway intentional thoughts that are free from lust. Uh, that thought, like, how can I help someone else? Can I be of service? Can I be generous? That's not about my own lusting, my own craving, but that's uh, altruistic. Can I help you? Can I serve you? Can I support you? Can I listen to you? Can I give you some attention? rather than I, me, mine, craving, craving, craving. Any questions about that first aspect of wise intention, free from self-centered craving? Buddha, craving, There's the, the word kama. Uh, 
Oh no, Kama Chanda, Dhamma Chanda. Chanda is a little bit different than Kama. I don't, I forget the difference. Um, there is a place where, um, or maybe several places that the Buddha said, you know, if you're gonna have, the, the, there's one healthy, healthy craving, healthy desire, healthy goal, uh, and that is for your own liberation. Craving for the truth is not craving for sense pleasures. Craving for the truth is saying, I want the truth and I'm willing to sit here in pain to see the truth of my, in pain, right? So craving for sense pleasure, it's not all craving is bad. Craving for sense pleasures is a dead end. It'll never create happiness. Craving for money is a dead end. You can get the money, but it's not going to give you freedom. Craving for the truth, the Dhamma, the reality as it is, that's a, that'll save your fucking life. That'll change your life. That will. So it's, it's actually a healthy thing. Now, the desire for truth, for Dhamma, for awakening is healthy. But there is, it's like the joke I was making about that meditation in 1993. There can be a craving for a pleasant, and it's almost always like I had a pleasant experience. And so we kind of think, oh, I'm attached to my meditation experience. I'm not attached to all of the unpleasant ones I had over the decades. I'm just craving for pleasure because I had some really pleasurable meditation experiences. And now I'm trying to reproduce them, clinging, craving to the pleasant ones. So as again, it's craving for sense pleasure, even if it's a spiritual sense pleasure, even if it's not fucking the ice cream, it's just <laughs> what happened on the meditation cushion that was so, and, and there will be, if you haven't had it yet, if you take your meditation practice seriously, if you get very concentrated, you have experiences that we call absorptions, you'll have practically orgasmic experiences that are so sensual and so pleasant but there's no source there's no external source it's just unlocking joy from your own mind body heart continuum but also you might get a clink crave for that just like we crave for that first bong hit that we had in 77. <laughs> I want that experience back. <laughs> Harlan, please. So maybe, maybe I'm going to switch to this further, but training the non-volitional into volitional, I have to apply other factors on the path to my action, to, because I, I just can't sit in meditation and change the thoughts, right? And take the actions that are going to lead to the continual changing of the thoughts. I completely agree. And it does, you know, it goes right from, you know, the, the Eightfold Path isn't so linear, but up here at the top, when it's like understanding reality, making sure you have the right intentions, and then quickly to speech and action. Because change does work like that, exactly what Harlan is saying is like, 
we're not, we can't quite catch the thoughts yet, but we can catch it afterwards and we can do the counter instinctual action. Like I'm not thinking, I'm not having this very natural, generous thought, but I'm still going to practice generosity. Even if it goes again, my mind might be self-centered craving and being like, I don't want to fucking help anybody, but I'm going to do it anybody, anyways. I don't want to donate any money. I want to keep all my money and I want your money. <laughs> but I'm going to donate anyways, right? So the thought might be greedy, you know, after class and, hey, you want to donate some money? You'd be like, fuck, no, I don't want to donate any money. I want somebody to donate some money to me. <laughs> and that thought might be there. But then the actual would be like, oh, I'm going to do it anyways. I don't, it's not. 100% sincere motivation, but I'm trying to train my mind through counter-instinctual actions, 100%. Is there any questions at home about that first piece around lust? I'll move on. Second piece, only three things, three simple things. Lust feel, uh, craving feels like the biggest one, and it is why the second noble truth, in, in some ways, the Buddha said simply, all of your suffering comes from craving. But the flip side of craving is aversion. And the other two uh, thoughts to, you know, to, to avoid, to intentionally train the mind uh, is uh, ill will and cruelty. Now, it's, and just for a moment, what, what's the difference? In your, what do you think? What's the difference between ill will and cruelty? I think so too, action. Like ill will is I hate you and cruelty is I'm gonna be mean to you, right? There can be that resentment, ill will, feeding those thoughts of, of, of resentment and I, I hope you know something terrible happens to you because you've hurt me in some way, and now I want you to be hurt in some way. And cruelty feels like it's, also it can, it doesn't have to be an action, it can just be a cruel thoughts. And maybe the difference between I resent you and I really want you to experience pain. Because sometimes you have resentments, I know I do, sometimes I, I resent you, but I don't want you to get hurt. I resent you, but I would still protect you. I'll still take a bullet. I, you know, I hate you, but I'll take a bullet for you. And then there's the cruelty, which is like, I would never take a bullet for you. And I might push you in front of the train. <laughs> Where it's more cruelty. It's more, I want you to hurt the way that I hurt or the way that I feel like you've hurt others or whatever it is. Cruelty. I want to, I want you to suffer, not just I have ill will towards you, but I want you to hurt. That feels like cruelty. So again, um, the mind does that. Have you noticed how much your mind has done that? How many resentments, how much, you know, ill, Ill will is not, not a common term that we use, but you know what it points to? You offended me, I hate you. You did, you know, you hold some views that I don't agree with. I hate you. 
or I, you know, I resent you. I judge you. I think you're an idiot, the bipartisan. You're not on my side. Fucking hate you. You hold ignorant views. I resent you. I'm afraid of you. I judge you. I have ill will towards you because of your ignorance. And maybe because of your ignorance, I want to hurt you. Maybe I even have cruelty, these thoughts of like uh, assassinations, maybe not that bad of an idea. How, much time, how many times did you think about that in the last four years? <laughs> Should we consider murder? <laughs> and not everybody, right? Some people are feeling that way now. Some people are like, you know, the, the orange guy wasn't that bad, but this guy, let's kill him. You know, and so it's like just the different views and opinions, but the human mind that all by itself says threat, unpleasant threat, aversion, ill will, and sometimes cruelty. Let's kill the threat. That which is threatening me, I want to go away or I want to hurt, or I want to. So the, I, my sense, my experience, my understanding is that the human mind all by itself is a craving machine. The human, and when I say mind, not just our brain, our bodies crave. You know, the mind is part, it's our nervous system, our, we, we crave pleasure. And we hate pain and we feel ill will and aversion. And like even, even when your jaw gets tight, like something unpleasant is happening and you're like, oh, I'm tight. <laughs> that is physical ill will, right? That is the body's manifestation of aversion. When your belly gets tight, when your shoulders get tight, when your ass gets tight. The body all by itself has aversion and ill will towards pain, real and imagined, real and just fear. Sometimes it's like something unpleasant is actually happening that I'm uptight about. And something it's just like, I'm afraid something unpleasant might happen. And so I hate you just in case, preemptive. <laughs> Preemptive ill will. You haven't done anything yet, but I'm pretty sure you're going to. <laughs> so why? Why do we have to so radically change what is really human nature, craving and aversion. The simple thing that I've already been talking about is because that creates suffering for us and we don't want to suffer. Hating equals suffering. Lusting equals suffering. So if you want to not suffer, then we have to change our relationship to our minds and develop uh, non-ill will, which is compassion and forgiveness, 
non-cruelty, which is forbearance and uh, acceptance and, and forgiveness, compassion for uh, the people that hurt us and see their pain and compassion for ourselves and see our own pain and forgiveness for ourselves. And so part of it is just the simple, um, it's the only wise thing to do if you want to be happy. Hatred will just create more unhappiness. So stop doing that. <laughs> Lusting will just create more unhappiness, even though their mind will be so convincing. No, man, this time it's going to work. This time, it's never worked before, ever. <laughs> Nothing that you've experienced up until this point has worked. But this time, isn't it ridiculous how we keep believing our minds? Because it's really like kind of that simple. If you have any moment of mindfulness and reflect on all of the shit we've been through and done all of the dead ends and ways that we've hit our heads against the wall looking for happiness, and we think, well, it never worked in the past, but my mind is telling me right now that this purchase is going to work. <laughs> my nine-year-old son has so much wisdom. Harlan witnessed this. He called me, we were driving and he called me and he said, dad, I really need this thing. I saw it on TikTok. <laughs> you can get it on Amazon. It's amazing. It's this little thing. It's this little circle thing. And when you drop it, it turns into a long staff. He's like, it's amazing. I need it. And <laughs> and I said, I said, you think that's going to make you happy? He said, at least for a week. <laughs> we actually negotiated it. He said, I think it'll make me happy for two weeks. I said, I think three days. But actually having that wisdom at nine, year old, nine years old is like, I want it. I know it's not going to really work, but it's going to be really fun for three days. <laughs> and that's part of like the, the wise, like if we can all bring our, uh, you know, kind of to our material and sensual and I'm like, it's not going to really work, but it's going to be fun for three days or for three hours or three minutes or whatever it is. It's not going to actually satisfy because craving is repetitive. And next week I'm gonna see something else that I have to have for three days. Mm -hmm. The other big part of the conversation is karma. So it's practical. And then all of our volitional actions and thoughts not only create unhappiness for us immediately in the present, but create a momentum of unhappiness, of, of karmic momentum, of all of that lusting and all of that aversion and all of that ill will and cruelty and feeding those thoughts. You know, when you have a resentment and your mind is really, you're just getting into it and just being like, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> and this is how I'm gonna get revenge and the cruelty thoughts start coming in and you're really feel like you're creating karma in your mind when you're really feeding those. The arising of thought 
is not your fault. The entangling and feeding and ruminating and planning is karmically our responsibility. And so a lot of this intentional training that we're doing is being mindful enough to catch the thought and being like, that's really unskillful thought. I'm not going to feed it. I'm going to disengage from it. That's a really unskillful, unwise thought. I'm not going to feed it. I'm going to disengage from it. Because I don't want to suffer right now, and I don't want to create this and perpetuate this karmic momentum of greed and hatred and self-centeredness in my life. I want to free myself from this cycle. I want to create, I want to replace my negative thoughts with positive thoughts. And this is one of the skills that we learn in meditation. And one of the things that the Buddha encourages, he says, when that unwholesome lust, aversion, ill will, cruelty arises, replace it. Put loving kindness in your mind. Put compassion in your mind. Replace the thought. And this is like, we can do it actually. Not in the beginning, not just from reading the book, but the more you read, the more you do the meditation, the more you develop this ability to be like, oh, that's happening, shift tracks. And it's almost like that, like the neuro pathways in our mind that are happening. And the lusting and aversion neuro pathways are the strongest <laughs> in all of us because they're the most natural, right? My nine-year-old is like lust for this thing naturally. But the more he develops, you develop, we all develop, Oh, non-attachment. There's a trackway for that too, letting go. Kindness, letting go. Compassion, forgiveness, and then saying, okay, I need to replace this thought. I need to shift tracks. Different neuropathway needs to be engaged. Please, Olga. I'm thinking about like, I don't know about lusting, but like a desire for something that I can't Yeah. Like, you know, a wanting to be seen or like, you know, that, like, you know, to be, you know, that belonging. Yeah. That feels a little less like a desire, like a human, it feels like a human being. So I'm curious about, because we can go to that place of like achieving that less skillful, like chasing it. Right. Skillfully, but like, there's some common, everyone's kind of like that place of. Well, there's the, um, so I'm going to just stick with the Buddhist view. There's, you know, there's definitely a, a lot of different perspectives on what are human needs and, you know, kind of psychological, kind of what's a healthy kind of perspective. But the Buddhist perspective, um, community is a need connection with each other, healthy, healthy um, connections uh, is something that we need, not only for, because it is healthy and feels good, but we need it because we need to practice conflict and we need to practice uh, not getting our way all of the time. Like, so we actually need to be in relationships so that we're not so self-centered. <laughs> so we need, we need relationships. Uh, from a Buddhist perspective, romantic love is not a need. It's a strong, natural human craving. 
uh, that your mind tells you, I need to be in love. <laughs> I need it. And not just love, I need sex, good sex. <laughs> I'm thinking about like, the big love with the capital L. Universal love? Or like, yeah, I guess maybe it's not love by sight, but maybe like or condition to think it comes from one person right so i would say that the you know like meta loving kindness kind of love for sure and it's not so much from a buddhist perspective that we need it from outside actually because it's who you are and however cheesy bumper sticker dharma it is it's like no you are love and what you really need to do is understand that and the more you understand that that's your who you are and that what you're you know, when you uncover your your heart's true nature, then you don't need it so much from outside because you just are it. And then you also attract it and, and you know. Um, but the romantic love, which we our mind says, oh, no, I need that. Is not a is not an is not a need from. The Buddhist perspective and actually is one of the main causes of human suffering is the idea that we need that and that it will make us happy and that um you know the the sexual intimacy and all of that that, go, that goes along with it is a need and not just a desire uh it's not a need but your mind even right now your mind's like bullshit it is, it is. <laughs> this is bullshit the buddha was wrong my mind tells me it's a need. Um, I am a little skeptical myself because I my mind says no. I want I want to be in a loving relationship. I, um, but I have experience of celibacy myself and not engaging and having a lot of happiness, free from loving relationships, free from sexuality. And then I have all these teachers that are celibate for decades and that have, you know, taken this Buddhist monastic path and it's not a need. The joy, the freedom the, uh, that these women and men, these people have free from romantic relationships is real and it's tangible. So um, I just feel like that's real, you know, if I, when I talk about sex and relationships of us really waking up to like, that's a choice. Celibacy is a viable option. Total happiness free from intimate relationships is available. We don't need relationships. But if you want one and you choose it, you're also choosing all of the suffering that goes along with it. And so like go into that with our eyes open and be like, yeah, I'm going to choose that that path. I'm going to try not to suffer too much, but I'm, I am going to choose that path because I really want the ice cream. <laughs> I was just gonna ask about what you were talking about when you were talking about your son, right? Because it's a different topic, obviously. And what you're, keep, keep going to this, like, well, you don't need it, right? But when you're dying, grieve. Yeah. Mostly just that I agree with you. Yes, children 
uh, to develop a, a healthy sense of self need to be um, have a connection with their caregivers and what sometimes is referred to as an attachment a healthy attachment a loving presence um, it's part of our human development for our caretakers to be um, present and loving and what so many of us like you said millions and millions of examples of growing up in homes where that wasn't our parents didn't have that capacity to consistently be loving and present and um, and we all know how wounding that is if you don't have that. So uh, yeah, sure, if you wanna have a healthy psyche, it's a need for children, <laughs> right, on that level. But the reality is very few families know how to do it very well. We all need it, but almost, you know, you know very few end up being born into a family that's very good at doing it. So I agree with you that like children need loving stability as much as possible, not for survival, but for a healthy sense of self. Yeah. To not end up in rehab like us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But as adults, even if we didn't get it as children, um, we don't need it for our happiness. Romantic love, we do need, and that's why I started with like, we need connection, we need community, we need loving relationships. Sangha, right? This was the Buddha, like take refuge in the Sangha, which hopefully will be a loving, supportive community of people, and it will be healing. The relationships that you develop will be healing if you stick in. There'll be conflict, there'll be difficulties, um, but there'll be a loving connection that will develop. And then that will, that will be a huge part of our path. Okay, we're out of time. I'm sorry I didn't get to everybody's hands or questions. Um, and I'm sorry, Tibby, I didn't get to yours. We ran out of time tonight. Against the Stream is a nonprofit organization that is supported by the generosity of those who attend. Uh, as you notice, we don't charge for the Zoom classes. We don't charge for people to walk into the room. We want to make the Dharma accessible to everybody, regardless of ability to pay, regardless of financial uh, abundance. Or um, so everybody's welcome, always welcome, and that it's it's done by donation. The Buddhist word is dana. It's part of our practice. Uh, dana means generosity. The uh, vo the volitional and intentional training of our our minds and our hearts in giving. And, um, you know, so give what feels right to you. And I think it's, it, you know, important to reflect on like what your own financial situation is and uh, how you value money and how you spend money. And, um, you know, I think, you know, how many of us will like happily pay $20 for a yoga class or $15 for a movie or, uh, but then when it comes to meditation, we're like, here's two bucks. <laughs> That's how much I value this. And just looking at that, like, and that, and if that's true, like, hey, if you, you know, if you value that other shit more, that's okay. And, you know, only a little bit of judgment. <laughs> you get to choose. So we suggest a 15 to $20 donation for drop-in class. 
And if I were charging at the door, I'd probably charge 15 or $20 to come in. But I don't want to do that because I don't want to keep people out who can't afford 15 or 20, you know, 20 bucks. I want this to continue to be available to everybody, regardless of their financial situation. And the way that that gets balanced is that those who have more give more. You know, so if you can and you're saying like, well, I can give 100 bucks and that helps the 10 people in the room that were broke and that helps against the stream, pay the rent and, and keep the lights on and continue to exist. Um, so think about that, you know, some a lot of people in our community uh, choose to become monthly supporters. And I always really appreciate that where they say, I want to give this month, this much every month, whether I show up or not. This isn't a fee for service. I'm giving you money because I liked your Dharma talk. This is I'm giving the community money because I like that this exists and I want to support its continuation. Um, and that it's, you know, breaking out of our capitalist fee for service. I pay for what I get rather than this Buddhist, like just pay it forward make some donations so that the people, you know, I'm here because all of the people before you donated and created this place. And then the donations that you make are for the people who show up next week and next month and next year. And it keeps the Dharma going and our, our form in the center. So um, practice generosity, think about it in that way. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.